wasting time. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. Not doing anything. Not doing anything. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. Wasting time by myself. Hello, you're listening to (laughs) me sing a song that I just wrote by myself. (laughs) My name is Andrew Kaler, and you're listening to Andrew Kaler Recordings. This is episode 10. Whoop, whoop. We made it to 10. Never thought we'd make it, but here we are. Uh, This episode, I'm talking to my buddy, Jimmy, Jimothy Payton. We met in college. Um, he was He's the brother to my fake girlfriend from college, Jamie Payton. Um, we talk about a lot of different stuff. It's a really good talk, and it covers a lot of bases. It's definitely... Um, I've, I've shied away from talking about Christianity for the most part on the podcast. Not... Uh, I wouldn't say, like, intentionally... But, um, I definitely haven't sought it out, but we definitely get into a lot of what my thoughts on Christianity have been, uh, over the last couple years where it's been growing since I became an adult, uh, with a lot of Jimmy's thoughts as well. Jimmy's a super smart guy, super well-read, knows tons of stuff. Just, I, I said it in the podcast, but just a very scholarly dude, which is not a word that I use (laughs) to describe just about anybody. Um, but he really is. So we touch a lot of stuff. Um, trigger warning. There is lots of swearing. (laughs) I, there's one specific thing I said, which is probably the most graphic, uh, profane and offensive thing I've said on the podcast. So look out for that get excited for that. Um, but all of it is said in love. Um, you know, I, I can really only speak for myself, but as far as I know, Jimmy as well, like it's all coming from a place of love and we have a lot of respect for a lot of people. So if any of it is triggering or is offensive, um, I do apologize for that, but it's not meant to be. Um, it's just us speaking from our experiences and our frustrations and our hopes and fears, etc. If anything in particular does bother you, please feel free to uh, text me about it or reach out on whatever social media platform. Um, I'd be more than happy to talk about it with you. Um, Some of the stuff is definitely said in jest, but for the most part, I mean... We are we are definitely speaking from the heart, and I hope that shines through. And I hope you get something out of it, because I know I did. I loved having this conversation, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. It's definitely the longest intro I've done so far, but <laughs> it is what it is. All right. I think that's about it. Uh, sorry again for the technical issues, uh, but yeah, it is what it is. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Jimmy. Stay safe out there. Hello? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, this is great. Anchor is so legit. Dude, it, like, I, I've been in Shanghai for, like, a year and a half, and I was like, I want to do a fucking podcast. And I was, like, trying to find all this stuff online. And then this kid from my hometown was just like, hey, I'm going to do a podcast on Anchor. You want to join? And I was like, what's Anchor? And then it was like the right. heavens open. It's so simple. Yeah, it is. No, it's great. Just send a link and you're good. Oh, I love it. Well, what's up, and man? distribution. Yeah, no, man. I'm great. How the heck are you? I'm good. It's funny. I was just this morning. I was thinking usually like when I have someone on the podcast, I like briefly introduce who they are. And I was thinking about it and I was like, as far as like anybody I've had on the show, you and I have the most like, like convoluted path to becoming friends. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. Because it's like I had your dad as my psychology professor freshman year first semester meet jamie like a year later then meet your mom and then meet you i met you last (laughs) yeah and i think like the amount of personal evolution that i did during that time was like i think it's important that we met last not important people use that word too much um but it's it wouldn't have worked if we hadn't met last because the personal evolution that i did during that time was uh so much and very significant but yeah no this is it's really it's really interesting i'm very excited to be here and like checked out a few of your previous episodes and i I really like the vibe of what you're doing so i i'm like honored so thank you yeah man i appreciate it you were definitely you were in the in the top of people i was like ooh, jimmy's always saying interesting stuff i feel like he'd be really good to have (laughs) on here i'm gonna i'm gonna give the people something i don't know if it's what they want i don't even know if it's good (laughs) I might, I might change my mind in a couple of weeks, but uh, I always got something to say, which is probably a bad thing. <laughs> um, so do you want to briefly explain like your backstory, who you are, or what's important to you? It's really up to you what you include in that. Yeah, I'll give a little, uh, a little bio. Um, my name is Jimmy, and Jimmy Payton, and uh, I was born into a family of Pentecostal preachers with a lineage on my mom's side. Um, my grandmother is actually published or my great grandmother is actually published in like some Pentecostal hymn books, which is very interesting. Um, Pentecostalism is a version of Christianity where it really focuses on mysticism and focuses on ecstatic experience. And it's downright weird, I would say. Um, and yeah, (laughs) Andrew knows this world all too well. Um, (laughs) it is a, it is a hotbed for trauma. Um, religious trauma, spiritual trauma, a lot of, um, I've had to learn how to create boundaries and different stuff like that. I've, I've been thinking a lot about that. Anyways, so I, I lived that life for a very long time. I ended up going to a school that was Pentecostal. That's how Andrew and I know each other. Um, and then I studied a master's program. I studied in a master's program at that school. And that's really where everything started to hit the fan. So at the same time as my primary worldview was unraveling, I also was starting to experience um, what I would learn later is called acute stress disorder. And one of the symptoms of that is depression. Uh, And so, yeah, very interesting unraveling that happened. But basically, uh, I tried to find a space in the Christian world after that. Uh, and it just hasn't worked out so far. So I am here. It's unfortunate because I have a lot of training and know a lot of stuff about Christianity. 
uh, I'm currently not using any of it, which is great fun. Uh, get a master's degree, they said. It'll it'll help you with job opportunities. Turns out they were wrong. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely don't identify as a Christian any longer. Um, I think it's too harmful. Uh, I really think that Jesus, that the person of Jesus, that we, if there's any way that we can know who Jesus of Nazareth actually was, and I mean that like the Jesus of Nazareth, the brown man that was murdered by the government for inciting an insurrection against Rome and against the um, the religious leaders of his day who were um, colluding with Rome for their own benefit, like, or not colluding, that's not the right word. Anyways, you get the point. That's a super captivating figure for me. Um, and uh, everything we know about that person is really twisted and skewed and at the mercy of the agenda of whoever was telling the story at the time. And so I'm still compelled by that figure and that person, but I am a lot broader now. So I don't know. I care about spiritual stuff, I guess, but I'm also not convinced that there is anything spiritual and maybe it's all just like psychosomatic. So now I work in marketing because I um, am good at convincing people of stuff, I guess, because I trained to <laughs> be a preacher. <laughs> Um, but no, and I, I, um, I have started to live into my values as a person and started to also like simultaneously discover and decipher what those are. Um, and if there's like easy labels for me, like I would say I'm a musician, I do write and sing songs. I'm slower to put those out into the world and I write stuff. Sometimes I, I write, like I call them poems. I started doing this back at Southeastern at the college that we were at because I wanted to process stuff. And I needed an unbounded space to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to make a change in my life soon um, as far as like a sense of like purpose and calling. But I don't know what that looks like right now. So in the meantime, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're having as much fun as possible. So. Oh, shit. I didn't know you were in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah I just I moved. OK, check this out. So. <laughs> I got fired from a church, um, Heritage United Methodist Church, because, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just really want to say, I mean, I've I've written about this and different stuff, so the information is very Googleable. Um, but yeah, I got, I got fired because there was this one pastor there who would always say super transphobic, super homophobic things, and like super, like, he would say like super ableist stuff, ableist shit in his sermons, and I would have to get up there. I was the music person. So I would have to get up there after that, knowing that there are probably people in the congregation. It was like a larger church. There were like 70 or so people that would attend each service. That's, that's big for a Methodist church, I guess. Right, and right. so, and I'm just thinking like, there's going to be people out here that are going to hear that. And it's, that's not, that's not going to work because it's going to be um, like, he's, he's discriminating against them or he's, uh, being hateful towards them. So I would have to get up and say stuff. I think one week he was like being super anti, like you don't have depression. You just need more Jesus. And as a person who has depression, I walked up afterwards and I was like, I just want to let you know that if you have Jesus and a therapist, that's okay. If you have Jesus and medication, that's okay. So no surprise I got fired from there, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> I, I'm not an expert, but aren't Methodists usually more left-leaning or am I thinking of a different one? No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, the whole damn denomination right now of Methodism is, in at least in the United, no, no, well, like globally, I guess, is making a decision about whether or not they're going to affirm and include LGBTQ plus people in like ordination. And 
this was all coming to like a head like they've essentially uh, approved it but it was all coming to a head at that time so like tension was super high and i have no chill and i don't know how to shut up um and like i'm glad that i don't i don't want that i would it's yeah so anyways um i got fired there and then got another job and it involved me relocating to madison wisconsin which is a cool place um yeah but i moved thing. yeah yeah it, no it's it's really like it's beautiful when it's not, you know, frozen. Um, right. So like you get, and there's like a lot of good, like tons of great breweries and like decent people. And I wouldn't call it diverse um, as, <laughs> as the United States go, but there's a little more like left-leaning people here. Like it's at least pretty neoliberal. Um, but yeah, so I, I moved here for the job. And then like two weeks later, uh, everything got shut down because of the panorama. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on the platforms. I don't want the algorithm to dock you for the points, you know? Um, You're thinking about it more than me. <laughs> I'm addicted to TikTok, and so that's where that comes from. Oh, gotcha. See, I'm not even I'm not even on TikTok, so I don't even know. That's fair. That's fair. Anyways, I've said a lot. Um, hopefully it means something. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I love it. It was it was actually very concise because you're covering oh, cool. like you're covering like a lifetime <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, I just like give you the highlights, but no. So Andrew, I want to know some stuff though. Like, how long have you you've been living in China for three years now? Um, no, I'm getting close to two years. I'm a couple okay. months away from two years. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay, I have questions about um, what's the weather like? Uh, so the weather today, it's. It's like 23 degrees Celsius, which is what they use here. But um, I won't make like the rest enough. of the world. <laughs> it's, yeah, like like everyone else. Um, so it's like 72 degrees right now. So the weather, it's it's kind of hit or miss. Um, it's we really only have like two seasons. It's either summer or it's winter. Winter okay. gets winter gets into like the 30s and 40s, and then summer is like 70s, 80s, 90s. But it's not Florida. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not just like, like 90 here is like manageable. Um, mm -hmm. Like it's windy because, you know, there's so many tall buildings. It's always pretty windy. So the weather's not great, but it's also it's it's better than Florida for damn sure. It's better than Lakeland. <laughs> <laughs> Lakeland's like a like the closest thing that Florida has to tar pits. <laughs> yeah, just... no. Yeah. Like living in Lakeland is you get like Stockholm syndrome, I feel like. Hmm. Which is why like, it takes oh, so like, long to leave. It's only, 80, <laughs> it's only 89 degrees and it's only going to storm for 75% of the day. Like, what? Like, I love it here. And I already have a change of clothes in my car, so we're good. <laughs> right, exactly. Wow. Okay, so, and then I noticed something on one of your social media accounts. Like, how is mobility for you, like, traveling the city and stuff like that? I think I saw that you do, like, scooter like electric scooters a lot like what what does that look like yeah so i i rent a moped it's like 20 bucks a month um nice yeah it's chill as hell and basically you can take that like wherever like you can go on the it's it's basically just considered like a bike and so you can like ride on the sidewalk you can ride on the street there's really no rules um huh like the only rules they have is like you're not you like they just made it a rule this month you have to wear a helmet and you're only supposed to ride with one person but the cops are only out during the day like they they are literally not out at night so you can do whatever you want at night 
and wow. it's really just it's chill as hell and then we have the metro system which is like the fastest and most interconnected in the world um so that's like it's like i'm trying to think it's like maybe 70 cents per ride and it can take you to like anywhere in the city and during rush hour you have a new metro showing up like every one or two minutes so there's really no such thing as like missing the metro the only shitty thing is that it, it closes at like 11 and so 11 at night and oh, so okay. yeah um but then like taxis are so freaking cheap like you take like an hour-long taxi and it's gonna cost like 10 bucks so wow holy cow yeah so yeah mobility is it's so like i came here thinking like sick i don't have to have a car because i hate driving and Mm. then i realized like oh like not driving is just like one like one part of how incredibly convenient it is to move around this city like most cities that are not in the united states actually (laughs) wow that's awesome yeah um dang i want to ask more questions than just about like the weather and driving um but they escape me now so i might circle back to that let's put a pin in it and we'll circle back to it later <laughs> circle back we'll circle back <laughs> oh my gosh wow um yeah so like you were saying about pentecostalism i i was raised in that as well um but i think i definitely got like a much like milder version like i definitely got like the um like like southeastern was not that much of a difference from like the church i grew up in Definitely much more of, like, a trendy, much more, like, uh, modern. Um, like, speaking in tongues isn't, like, a staple. It's, like, something the pastor <laughs> does. Like, like you know, like, the worship band's still going, and he comes up, and he's just kind of, like, speaking in tongues a little bit. Like, there's no interpretation. It's just kind of, like, he's getting hyped. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Or, like, maybe he's praying over somebody, and mm-hmm. some, some, some uh, gobbledygook comes out but yeah this is actually this is actually a funny story and i don't think my parents will mind me sharing because they did it in front of the entire church but <laughs> there right was on. one there was this one couple and this is when my parents were running a church there was this one couple where the wife would always start speaking in tongues and then the husband would uh you know translate and so they 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 were doing this like fairly consistently and uh my dad was talking about it one time like we were having like dinner after church and he was like you know it really just bothers me that they keep doing this uh because it's supposed to be this like calling of the spirit it's not this like thing you clearly rehearsed at home before mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, so, and so one time um like the worship is wrapping up and my dad starts to go up on the stage and this woman starts to like speak in tongues incredibly loudly. And my dad just takes, my dad's got the mic and he just goes, thank you for that. So now, <laughs> and then just totally just moved on. Oh my God. And, and they, they did not do it again. And they were also not at our church much longer. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. That was, like my parents totally believed in speaking in tongues and the power of that and everything, but they were also like, "There's a flow of service that needs to be respected." <laughs> yeah, it's like dad, it's like such an. Oh, go ahead. My dad was very much a like church. We we tell people church is over at twelve if we have them there at twelve oh five. Like that's five minutes we're taking from them. Uh, mm. So we need to be very careful about what those five minutes include. Like he was very respectful of people's time. 
Yeah, no, that's legit. That's legit. It's like, you got me thinking like, it's such an interesting social dynamic to navigate like in a Pentecostal church. Cause if you're familiar with it at all, and if you know it, you know that there's like less hierarchy than in a lot of social spaces. So like people who know, like, like that couple, if they were like newer to the church or had been there for like, you know, four months or whatever, like you can just do stuff like that. Like you can get up and address everybody. But also there is like a, a like you said, a flow of the service. Like you, you got to read the room, but it's like, yeah, it's so weird. Cause on the one hand, it's like, I, I think it's refreshing when things are like that democratized or like almost anarch, anarchic, yep. anarch. Yeah. You know, the, you know what I mean? But then like, they're not like they are, but they're not. It's it's weird to read power in those rooms, huh? Yeah, one one of my uh, like I I was never into speaking in tongues. It creeped me out when I was a kid. It creeps me out now. Like it's just never been my cup of tea. Yeah. And, um. So I, my parents were like very chill with like me going to other people's churches or just not going to church. Um, they were pretty they pretty much let me do what I want. And so I would go to my like my closest friends. They went to a uh, Presbyterian church, just very like, but not like the cool Presbyterians, like the very conservative, uh, <laughs> like like the Trump Presbyterians. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But but like their church was really chill, and everyone there is really nice. It was just like a very conservative space. Um, and so I would go there with them like almost every week, and finally i was like okay like you guys gotta come to my youth group like it's much like it, it's like it's fun like they don't really make us do anything like it's it, it'll be good and like they're like they're, they're making pentecostal jokes at me for years and i'm like it's it's no skin off my nose because i'm like this isn't my horse like i'm not gonna like defend this but so we go right. we go to youth group we go to youth group and my youth pastor, who is this super cool guy from Jamaica, like he's like still my mentor. I love him to death. He wasn't there that week. So we had we had some of like the uh, underlings running it. And so we have this woman. God bless her. She's like, today we're going to do a speaking in tongues workshop. Oh, no. And I'm oh, like, no. I'm like, oh, like, this is and like literally this is the one and only time of my 18 years going to these kind of churches that that ever happened. And it was the one time that I brought my friends. And so this woman is like, you know, sometimes like it can be uncomfortable. It can be awkward. So sometimes I'll just look in the mirror and just practice, you know, for like 30 minutes or an hour. <laughs> and my friends are just like, they're both just like looking at me with these like, like shit eating grins because they're just like, yeah, we have got like, we will be making fun of you for the rest of your life for this shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the worst when you bring your friends to youth group on Holy Spirit speaking in tongues night. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I try I've tried to my girlfriend grew up Presbyterian but like not the Trump Presbyterians um and I try to explain to her about speaking in tongues because she's never like experienced it um so like and I don't like oddly enough as many times as I've like sang in a church and like quote sang in the spirit I don't have like any videos of that um and so I just like try to explain it to her and then the other night we were just like doing something in the kitchen or, or and she was like, oh, like, I really hope that this happens. And I just like started as a joke, like not even whatever speaking in tongues is, if it's real or if it's not like I was just like doing because I've been around it so long. I can mimic like the 
the phonemes or whatever. Right, and so right. I was just like doing that, but I like just busted into it like very unexpectedly. And she was like laughing and like, what happened? What is going on? It was pretty funny. It was a, a jarring moment for sure. But yeah. it's definitely, it's definitely one of those things because uh, like my parents do it. None of my siblings do it. Like we, none of us ever have. Um, but like, I, I know people like, and I have obviously my parents included, like that I have a lot of respect for that do it and believe in it. And so I was probably in like seventh grade, I think. And this, this teacher I really looked up to and he was friends with my dad. They worked together. And I asked him about it. I was like, praying in tongues is super weird. Like, what do you think about that? And he's like, what do I think about it? He's like, for me, doesn't make sense at all. But there's a lot of people I respect that believe in it. So I believe in it as far as that goes. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like the scientific studies they've done where it like literally yeah. is a switch in your brain that is triggered. Like, it's definitely not just it's not nothing. There's definitely something going on, but it's also not unique to Christians. yeah that's which is what i always tell christians when they bring that up i'm like okay yeah i'm totally with you but also other people do it too yes totally yeah no it's it's interesting i had somebody ask me once they were like do you think that it's real like what do you think about that and i was like you know i i think that a lot of it is learned behavior but i don't i also don't think that that makes it less valuable like on a for somebody who finds it meaningful, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like one of those live and let live like approaches for this. Cause it doesn't seem as, as strange and jarring as it is. And, and as bad as it is when you're, you know, at the quote altar, like sitting on the stairs in front of the stage and the band's like going crazy and everyone's like, you got to speak in tongues, you got to speak in tongues. And you're having like a crisis, right, like right. this, this God that you think, you know, can, can literally damn you to hell if he wants like isn't giving you this gift like it must mean there's something wrong with you you don't love god enough you don't like whatever and it's like that's the part where it's like okay i'm I'm not okay with that aspect right, of it but right. if it's something that you do i mean like to this day i will still if i'm in like a creepy old building basement i will and i'm startled i will speak in tongues or whatever <laughs> it is that i'm actually doing like or if i'm about to get into a car accident that's what's going to come out of my mouth it's not going to be oh shit it's going to be you know Korata Boshandai or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I I can definitely remember um, from my time in church, people feeling like a certain level of shame from not having spoken in tongues. My parents mm-hmm. always, the way my parents always put it was that it was just it's it's a gift and it's one of many gifts that God mm-hmm. can give you. And if that's not the gift God gives you, like that's fine. There's plenty yeah. of other gifts that are just as useful. But I, I definitely also remember southeastern people definitely tripping up on it. But at that, like at that point, I was not like comforting anyone because of their <laughs> religious hangups. Like, no, I was, I was too much of an asshole at that point. <laughs> oh man, wow, this is, this must sound so strange to people who like don't know. I wonder how many people know like what like about speaking in tongues or. It's definitely a very niche topic, but <laughs> so much so, but like such a huge part of our lives. It's it's oh man, which is probably how most people's experiences are. Right, I'm I'm pretty sure most people can identify with that. I'm pretty sure anybody that's gone to church has had some weird. <laughs> anybody that's oh, like, man. like, yeah, I was raised in the church, and it's like, what? Well, how was that? And they're like, well, you know, this it it is what it is, right? Right? Yeah. Normal. Yeah. 
don't know yeah, anybody it's, like that. <laughs> it's hard. I very few of the people that I know that weren't like well into their forties and still professing to be Christians, like that were in that part of life and who asked any questions or like started to think differently about the world. Like very few of them are still um, okay with it and like I mean, still gung ho for Jesus, you know? It definitely, it definitely is interesting. Like the born in church, told to ask questions, ask questions, walk away from the faith pipeline. <laughs> like, how... <laughs> yes, it's almost become like streamlined. Yeah, no, very much. It's an aesthetic at this point, honestly. <laughs> no, it really it, like, and there's a look too. There's like a post-Christian look, you know, like hmm. the the hair gets long the clothes get a little bit grungier but still kind of cool like it's you're not disheveled yeah you you look more you look more like a christian theologian than you did when you were in the church (laughs) and maybe you've like accumulated a tobacco pipe and craft beer at this point yeah i mean most church people do that the trump presbyterians do that (laughs) wow so w- would you say there was one thing that kind of triggered you onto like moving away from the church or has it just been a one long path? Oh yeah. So like as a, as a sense-making creature, I'd like to say it all goes back to the sum. There was a summer where I was in the like second year of my grad program and I decided that that summer I was going to do an intensive um, world an intensive philosophy of religions course and then I was going to do an intensive world religions course so it just basically means you do a course in four weeks and you like you read all the stuff beforehand and then I was also going to take biblical Greek so I did all of that in one summer and it was like the perfect storm of like, there is so much that we don't know and can never know. So it's like in, on the philosophical side, like it was great because the, the professor that took us through it, um, Peter Althaus, who, okay, Peter Althaus is cool as shit. And anybody who disagrees with me, you're entitled to that opinion. <laughs> the reason that Althaus is so cool is because he wrote his master's thesis using a Marxist lens of analysis to demonstrate that people who who participated in like on the fringe on the margins pentecostal churches gained social power and agency as a result of their participation in that community and network and he talks about just like the the distribution and redistribution of power and like how egalitarian like like how there was no jim crow in the first early like first 10 years of pentecostalism in the united states like it was an integrated movement and so it's it's super interesting anyways I, like I've been his his each other great sort of except we started with like Kant and religion within the um, bonds of pure reason, and then we moved from Kant to this guy Schleiermacher. It's such a great name, and Schleiermacher is like a straight up like universalist. Leaves everything goes like it doesn't matter, and it's really not that big of a deal. And 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 just like philosophically is so. Um, mystical, which is so nice. Like it was really, it resonated. And then you go from Schleiermacher to like we read Hegel, Phenomenology of Mind or of Geist or whatever. And yeah, that was, that book took me way too long to finish, but it's beautiful. And I I, 
I don't know anybody that's like, yeah, I breathed through Hegel. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, and I really took us to like Moltmann, who is a is a dialectical materialist in some sense, right? Because he he that's what, kind of what he was doing was like we're using Hegel to like jump into this idea of dialectic, right? And dialectical right, like right. thinking. And he does it more phenomenologically, but then like you go into Moltmann who's like a little bit, but it's, he's not like I think he was trying to like push us as close to like postmodernity. Oh, how could I forget? We started with David Hume, and I read his his essay on suicide, which is mm. so beautifully and yep, so wonderfully yep, crafted. Yep. Um, but anyways, yeah, and so all of that happens, right? And so my mind's like a wash in the sense that I'm like, oh my god, epistemology. Like I thought that things could actually just be. And like that there was like objective truth, but like, no, everything's mediated and everything's like storied and it's all community. And then so I moved from there to like world religions and I'm like, holy shit, if I was raised, uh, you know, like anywhere else but the United States of America, I would not be an evangelical. I would not be a Pentecostal. Right. And even from there to I took biblical Greek to the point where I was like, holy freaking shit, everything that we know about the Bible and everything that people claim about Jesus is 60 to 90 years removed from the event of that person's life and right, has right. been toyed with by a community. And it's like so narrative. And there's words that we don't even know what the fuck they mean. Like, there's no like, holy cow, like, how do we know anything? And so it was just like, oh, my gosh, this was this was the the bedrock for me for so long like this was all of my stability and all of my like I, I i formed a career or tried to form a career around it i was like so invested and then that all started to kind of collapse and i i did meet some you know wonderful people that helped me to kind of not completely break down but it was also just destined to fall apart at that point it's kind of like when you get a um like a camper, like camper campers are designed to start falling apart after about 40 uses. And so I had just gotten to like the 40th use of my camper and I was like, <laughs> okay, well now I got to make a repair and I would go make the repair and then something else would break. And I'd be like, okay, well I got to repair this, like, and then something else would break. And then, um, that was where it, that was where it was, where I would say it started. And then you're like, wait, this camper's never actually protected me from the outside. Yeah, it's like it's like when you watch those YouTube videos where the people can pick locks with like a water pick or like a flosser or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's no such thing as security, which is great. Like from the standpoint of like there shouldn't be property, there shouldn't be capital, and yet like we are so far removed from that idea that there's no like there's not going to be accountability for safety if that were to ever happen in like in society in in a lot of societies like we're we're very far away from this sense of like everybody has a place of belonging in the community and everyone should get what they need and there shouldn't be exploitation and additional stuff and there should be no need for safety because we should like that should be included in what we need Safety in the, in the, there is a need for safety, but there's no need for, you know, retribution and like fighting and like security and policing is really what it, you know, kind of comes down to. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. So then the rug was pulled and I was having a good time. Well, so when you say you were having a good time, were like, were you just like, like, as you're studying, you're just like, 
oh hell yeah oh hell yeah or you just like oh fuck no fuck no like were you (laughs) were you spiraling or were you like rising like were you getting high off this so it was it was a little bit of both because i still felt a sense of obligation so the question was more like okay well what am i going to do now because i still felt a sense of again it was obligation and it was rooted in guilt but i thought i was called to you know be part of a pentecostal church community and I was like, oh my gosh, I've learned all this stuff. And there's certain ways that this has been helpful to me. I wonder what else, like who else might want to know this? Um, mm. Like I, I was part of this crazy cult called Ignited and and another one called Heart of the Father. <laughs> Heart of the Father oh, Ministries. Hot I, know, FM. I know Heart of the Father. I know Heart of the Father. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So like I was in those spaces for a while. And when I started to kind of like share some of this stuff, I mean, like some of those places would let me preach. And I would mm-hmm. preach stuff about how like there is no hell and people would be like, Oh my God, I never knew that. Like the pressure's off and it was just great. But then, you know, <laughs> and then it would just I've... turn into a massive orgy and everyone did heroin and child sacrifices <laughs> went through the roof. Are you, are you a fan of Rick and Morty? Yeah. It's like the episode where um, that, that precise thing that you just explained happens in a church and it's like, right. And then there after no they, God. Yeah, after they flash out of it, they're like, oh, God, what have we done? There's, like, a guy that comes up from, like, going down on someone, and it's just, whoo, doggy. So funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, none of that happened. I would say that, like, there were some people – here's the hard part, too. Like, I also felt responsible because I knew the the mental anguish that I went through as a result of learning that, like, there was no reality – um, that, that in the words of Hannah Montana, life's what you make it. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, I don't want to cause other people to go through that. Like, that's not my goal because I, it's, it's not pleasant and you need like help and resources to make it through that. Like you need to, and a lot, there was a lot of stigma towards like mental health and like taking care of yourself too. So like, you don't just ever want to like push people out to see on a tiny dinghy and be like, okay, figure it out. You know, like that's. I don't find that to be a nice thing to do. So yeah, it was weird. It was weird. I, I know like several friends from that time who have had drastic changes in their, in their faith, but I don't know if I had anything to do with that. I would just say that it was again, like it's an aesthetic, like it's, it's a pipeline <laughs> and like we're all there. Yeah. I, I think for me, people are asked, they're like, okay, so what's the biggest thing that pushed you towards uh, walking away from Christianity and like for as like not interesting as it sounds it's just i literally started reading my bible a lot and then, <laughs> um, oh man i got into it was it was like my sophomore year at southeastern and i had never like i almost never went to chapel um i probably went to maybe like 20 chapel services my entire time at southeastern um and I wasn't, so I just wasn't really doing like most of the things that like, like, you know what I mean? Like the stuff that was yeah. going on there. But my sophomore year, I was like, okay. Cause I, I talked to Drew, uh, Drew Gard, cause Drew Gard and I always got mm-hmm. along really well. Yeah. And, um, what's the, what's the Bible thing? Everybody reads the same. What was that called? Oh yes. The, uh, life journals. Yeah. 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 He was like, he was like, I think you should do it, man. Like, like you don't have to do like, don't, you don't have to write about it, but I just think 
you know, it'll help you if you're reading the same things everybody else. And then you can talk about it because I think you have good stuff to say and people would benefit from hearing it. So I was like, okay, so I'll start doing this. So, you know, I'm reading the Life Journal required reading, which I think like finishes the Bible. Is it once a year or twice a year? I think it's just once. Yeah. So I was I like, never I'm did gonna, it. I was like, I'm going to do double that. And so I started Holy reading. Crap. So I finished the Bible, I think, like three times over the course of like a year and a half. And then and by then I was an atheist. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I that's wow. Yeah. What? So like what are there like any themes that you think of from the Bible that helped like push you towards that? Are there any specific like stories or or was it like it was like, was it like you're reading in the context of like what was happening in the world around you at the time or like what, a lot what of was it, it? A lot of it was just me realizing, um, shit, people don't read this thing. <laughs> um, and like, it's not like I'm like, I'm not a Christian because other Christians suck. I'm not saying that at all. Like people definitely like, I know tons of people that do actually read it and they get a lot out of it and that's great. Um, but like, I was reading a lot of it and I was like, I don't agree with, I don't agree with the way people are interpreting this into like mm. their daily lives, but I also don't really agree with what this book is saying. Mm -hmm. Um, like, like I act like I, I felt a little egotistical, but I, I mean, I don't anymore, but I was like, I don't agree with like what the message of this thing is like <laughs> this premise is flawed. Yeah, this premise is flawed and people are like, oh, well, you know, like it was progressive at the time and there's like a progression of humanity and et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, like, cool, cool. I vibe with all of that. But if this is supposed to be like a document for all time and it's supposed to be relevant for all time, then there should be at least some sort of like instruction manual or guideline that helps you read this thing. And there isn't mm -hmm. because it's literally it's a collection of books put together by some dudes um, mm -hmm. like not that long ago. Like like the dudes put yeah. all that shit together much more recently than it happened. Like we're closer to the Bible being made than the events in the Bible, like the vast yes. majority of them. Man. And so, um, you know, like I, I think the thing is the, the things in Christianity that I dig and that I vibe with aren't unique to christianity you know when people yeah. talk about like jesus and they're like he's this great moral teacher and i'm like cool so like what's he about and so you're like love your neighbor honor your mother and father like let he who is sin with who, let he is who is without sin cast the first stone i'm like cool awesome vibe with all of that buddha said that shit 500 years before jesus was born <laughs> like, yes oh yeah no that's true so so like hmm what like Here's the one the... the one the one thing that i really vibe with with jesus um is the fact that he you know and i don't know if this is true or not this is just based off what i've read from the bible uh the fact that he allowed himself to be murdered by the state without violence like i think that's really interesting i'm not even saying that that's what everybody should do but I think yeah. as far as as far as religious figures go, we don't have too many of those. And that's why I don't really like the resurrection is not interesting to me because it to me, it kind of just undercuts everything he said. 
because he yeah. literally could have just said, you know, like everybody needs to go plant trees in their belly buttons. And then they murder him, and then he comes back to life. And then most Christians would just be like, all right, like let's go get some soil because this dude got murdered and came back to life, which validates all of his ethics. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's mainly it. Like I, I, Most of Christianity, I'm like, cool, fine, vibe with it. You know, like a big thing for me was reading in the Old Testament how uh, God said, if your wife, if you think your wife's cheated on you, Bring her into the temple. We'll make her some juice. And if she's cheated on you, she'll have a miscarriage. And if she hasn't <laughs> cheated on you, then she'll be fine. And I'm like, holy shit. Not only does God totally vibe with abortion, he wants you to do it at church. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. Like, no, yeah. We were talking about the flow of service earlier. Like, imagine the flow of service where somebody's like, all right, so now we're going to take offering. And somebody's like, excuse me, I think my wife's cheated on me. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do offering. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, in the back, get the abortion tea ready. And then, oh my God. Nancy, do you want, Nancy, do you want to come up on stage, sweetie? Because, of course, you would, of course, if you've done nothing wrong, you won't mind coming up and just shitting out a fetus in front of the entire congregation. Just right away. No, it's like, it. yeah, it's whack. And so, I think, like, okay, here's what I think. I feel like the way that we were handed it and not just us, but like so many other people, we were given this framework in like such a fundamentalist way. Like this had to be yeah. it just like, yeah. just like conservatives treat the constitution. And I know conservatives is nuanced or whatever. I don't know, whatever fuck nuance. But anyways, like we were given it in such a way that it was like, okay, this is supposed to be like the proof. And this is supposed to be like the, the constitution. And it's like, doesn't matter about anything except for authorial intent. And like, we know that we have the best interpretation, like here we go. Whereas like other people experience their religion as part of their community and a way of life. So like, for example, Judaism, it's, there's space in Judaism for rabbis who are atheists. There's space in Judaism for, they have this tradition called Midrash, which is where you take the Hebrew scriptures, like the Torah and like some of the shit that you were just talking about in like the Levitical law. And then somebody interprets it and says, well, actually, it's not true. Like, it wasn't done that way, you know? And so, like, a rabbi is able to go in. And and so there's, like, in Judaism, there's definitely not this understanding that, like, oh, my God, abortion, like, life begins at conception and abortion is a sin. Like, no, that's not the case. And, like, in Judaism, there's not this understanding that you have to wait until you get married to have sex, right? Like, none of that is there because it was able to breathe and it was able to move and it's a tradition. Whereas there were these people at the time, like you're talking about these old men who at the time of like, you know, Constantine coming to power, they were like, well, we got to like formalize this shit and we need to make it more efficient so that we can, um, you know, just pump out these converts and use it as a marker of, identifying with the state and so then it became like a tool of oppression and became a lot closer to like a dogma that reinforced who was in power and it's just like it was never meant to be that way i don't think jesus even advocated for that and i would argue too that you even see that shift towards um christian empire in the new testament like in the christian scriptures i think paul was a Christian imperialist, and I yeah. think that. I mean, he's literally I, he's literally a Roman. 
Exactly, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And and he does all this like stuff to twist the text and I, like I wish we could just throw his stuff out. And there's also other gospels <laughs> that were contemporary at the time. There's the Gospel of Judas Iscariot, there's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. There's all these other stories of who Jesus was that got thrown out for sexist reasons or for control reasons or like all this stuff and it's like there's a richer history and a richer story here than like what people want to know and what people want to tell. And also like, is it worth fighting anymore? Because Christianity is so aligned now in so many places with like, and I'm not even talking about evangelicalism, which is an, a relatively new invention. I'm talking about the Catholic church, like so yeah. aligned with colonialism and so aligned with oppression and taking over and telling women what they can't do. I once dated a Catholic woman and we were talking about the Catholic church's sexual ethics. And it's literally stated that because an orgasm, a female orgasm is not necessary for conception of life, that it is not necessary that a woman experiences orgasm in the middle of intercourse. What in the fuck is that? Sorry, right. I didn't mean to take it there so quickly, but yeah, it's just like all that kind of stuff. Like it got on the side of, of manipulation and control and empire. Right. And now it's well, pretty and, much useless. I, I'm, I'm not a Paul Stan by any means but no. like the like the 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 way i'm able to like look at him in like the best light is just assuming that he probably didn't intend for his letters to specific churches to be like nitpicked and used True. like to create like basic like like I, I don't think it's controversial i mean it is controversial i guess to say paul is the most influential person in the new testament but realistically like he's the most influential person in the new testament but i don't yes. know if he i don't know if he necessarily signed up for that mm, um yeah that's true and so like i'm able to like give him like give him some credit on that so like usually when people ask they're like who's the most influential person in the bible usually i say paul but then when mm, they say yeah. who's the most influential person in christianity i usually say constantine like i think yeah, as far yeah. as like what what christianity looks like right now constantine probably had a bigger hand in it than you know jesus <laughs> right well because because jesus wasn't a christian jesus would have not wanted christianity to spring up like jesus was trying to reform judaism right like so it's yeah no i, I fully agree like Constantine sucks and Eusebius is right there with him fuck Eusebius <laughs> yeah I, I just I recently finished uh the history of western philosophy by Bertrand Russell which mm. if you haven't read you got to get on that because it's it's like it's the best philosophy book I've read at least as far as western philosophy goes but he goes through like all of the uh the Christian philosophers because you know western philosophy didn't contribute anything besides <laughs> Christianity for several hundred years yeah, um, yeah. But he talks about Constantine and all that stuff. I'm just like, man, there's just like no escaping the influence of Rome. And obviously, mm -hmm. that's that's so much more obvious with the Catholic Church because like the yep. Vatican and the Pope and everything. But <laughs> I mean, even even with, you know, Protestants, it's not that far removed. Yeah, no, it totally isn't. And especially just like how similar catholics and protestants are in terms of like the ways that they control bodies and the ways that they have hierarchies established and like it's interesting that you go from in protestantism like the priesthood of all believers and like that's why martin luther was like oh yeah i can i can critique you all because the spirit speaks through me too but 
then they like cut it off. And so it was like, you have to be literate or you have to know Latin or you have to not be a woman or like, right. and then later, like you have to be chased and like you, all this shit, like, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it, nice it's... to know that there are other, um, other traditions, other spiritual traditions where that wasn't the case. And I'm glad that people got to experience that as part of their upbringing. And like, cause I do think that it's important that we learn like, quote morality or like ethics like we need we need some kind of ethics or ethical center um or like social contract at least so like and i think that you know religion and spirituality is like has a powerful sway in teaching that or like establishing that as like kind of a way of life um i would be interested to hear your take on that though in the sense that like as an atheist like you don't necessarily find value in the spiritual or am I putting like words in your mouth? Um, I would definitely lean much more towards saying spirituality is just the inner workings of our minds and bodies and uh, our connection with everything else around us. But I don't mm. see that as uh, reductive. I, like, I'm not saying, like, it's just our bodies, man. Like, right, right. Our bodies are, like, literally the coolest thing that we have. Yeah. And it's literally our vehicle for exploring reality as we know it. And that's that's pretty cool to me. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like I, I, like, I don't use the word spirituality personally. But if somebody else is using the word, then I'll use it. Because that's just, that's gotcha. kind of how I, like, that's my stance on language as a whole. Like, I used to, when I was younger, I was much more like, this word means this thing. And like, I'm only going to use this word for this. And if you <laughs> use this word and I don't agree with you, like, I'm going to argue with you about the definition, not about what you're even saying. Um, and then you read Derrida. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, yeah, I could vibe with that, though. And like, I would maybe reframe spiritual as like just ritual, right? Or like, I use the word yeah, liturgy a lot, yeah. because it means like oh, yeah. the work of the people and like liturgy in the in like the, the Greek language is referring to like political action, like it'd be it'd be the work of political organizing and stuff like that, or like having a rally or like whatever. Anyways, I sidebarred that for a second. Yeah, no, I like I am all about ritual i love meditating i love taking care of my plants like i love just like walking in a circle you know what i mean like just I, like i love that kind of stuff like i i love every day i come home light some incense and read a book like i love ritual and i think it's so like valuable actually on my last podcast um my friend tay was saying how for so many people smoking cigarettes is just like the only actual time they take a moment mm. in their day to focus on one thing um and just breathe and um yeah so I, I totally vibe with all that kind of stuff i just don't like the language people use for it right no yeah and now i'm thinking of like the fact that constantine had so much sway and tried so hard to again like make ritual and make tradition and make um spirituality if you want to use that like make it efficient and make it like mass producible yeah, and yeah. robbed it of all of its power, I think, because there's, there's, there's no connection. Like you, you can't rehearse. The point of the ritual is not the ritual of its in and of itself. The point of the ritual is that you're 
putting aside you're getting past you know your 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 monkey the monkey part of your brain that is easily distracted and you're getting down to the other parts of your brain that are like more bent on survival and you're able to stop and like tune into like the higher developed parts of your brain and like I, I could even like see a parallel there of like talking about enlightenment or higher consciousness, not as transcendence to some spiritual realm or some like out of body or noetic realm, but it's more like a dive deep, more deeply into yourself as human and more fully experiencing again, as you said, like how fucking cool your body is like, yeah, right. That, right. Yeah. Well, cause I, yeah. And I think, um, like two things there, one, you're like, you're talking about Constantine co-oping it and making it efficient. I mean, the just the parallels to that to capitalism and how like mm-hmm. we have we have to build we have to use religious existential language to justify why we're going to church on Sunday and why we're praying and why we're tithing 10% because capitalism is like no that doesn't make sense like you're a cog in this machine and you exist to like make money and you're literally giving your money away so you have to justify it using like these otherworldly words because mm-hmm. like Christianity doesn't really make sense in a capitalistic sense unless it's co-opted by capitalism, which is, you know, capitalism just co-ops everything. That's its thing. But yeah. Um, shoot. And then I lost my other point. What were you, what were you just saying? Um, no. Yeah. Like fully agree. And, and like what I find interesting about capitalism seeping into and again like making it more efficient and using almost using it as capital um and it kind of like expands that statement of like religion being an escape or an opium of the masses which i would argue now a lot of people find that in consumerism and that's their escape from the horrors of of the capitalist system which is so funny because then it feeds the system and i think that's what christianity did for so long is like fed that system by you participating in it but what's interesting is by doing that like it it um it neutered it that's it it robs it of its power holy shit you ever stop and think like <laughs> wow it neutered it. it like they've neutered the lion of judah i've definitely heard that in church before um but no like it, it robs all religion of its power because you do it not so that you can connect with your highest self or with you or with your like most evolved mind you do it so that you can like fold into a capitalist society and like yeah. like my dad has the experience of like growing up Lutheran and then later he converted to Pentecostalism because it was so much more real because there was mysticism involved in it. And there was like a mission. There was a sense that there was a purpose and they had to get people saved or they were going to hell or like whatever. And like, it's very meaningful and significant for him because of where he was in his life when he found it. But with the Lutheran situation that he was in before um, it was more like a social club, which I don't necessarily think that that's bad. In fact, if right. I, I think if we got Christianity closer to its Jewish roots, which I, I'm not, I have no interest in doing that. I don't think it should do that. But like, <laughs> if you were to get it to that point, it would be more like that because the ritual of like Sabbath or, or like spending a whole day in worship together would look a whole lot more like a huge family picnic uh, or not family picnic, but just like a bunch of people and like, you don't do anything. Like it's, it's a huge protest. It's a big F you to capitalism and you're not there to network and you're not there to, 
talk about the machine. Like you're there to just hang out with each other and like make sure that the community is well and like there's learning that happens and there's elders telling stories and there's children playing around and like learning ethics. It's just, yeah. Which, and like that doesn't, that as, as a technological concept or as a technology doesn't exist in so many places in the world. Right. Like I don't see that anywhere. I couldn't tell you where to go right now in Madison, Wisconsin to find something like that. Right. Like I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I could see it in other religions. I could see it in like Judaism. I could see it in Islam, like something like, you know, Eid um, or like at the end of Ramadan and different things like that. Like I could see that those things happening there, but it's definitely not in Christianity. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think like the, like the Christian, like the big events are going to be, you know, like Easter or like a harvest festival kind of thing. And those are like also like so capitalistically based. It's like okay, we're gonna, <laughs> have, we're gonna have this, we're gonna have this huge picnic. Like we're gonna rent like a bounce castle and like hire all these vendors, and we're gonna have like food trucks and like Ferris wheel, and it's gonna be like a carnival. Like and it's like yes, like it's all for free, but like the church is paying for it with like the money people are giving, so it's not really free. And it's also just like, <laughs> it's just. And it's like, we're bringing in all these businesses, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, you were literally fueling the American machine. Like, who would have thought these two yep. things could come together so easily? <laughs> they did. Oh, and here's here's what I think. Oh, my gosh. All right. So you've probably seen, like, on social media, like, I, and I, I don't know who wrote this, but, like, these points going around, like, here's marks of white supremacy. You have, like, urgency. You have efficiency. You have, like, all these different things. I think that because the way that evangelicalism developed, and I'm pretty sure, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm pretty sure that um, a, a person, a, a woman by the name of Kristen Dumez, who wrote this book, Jesus and John Wayne, traces this very, like the origins of white supremacy and the United States and the turn of the century and Christianity and like manifest destiny. She does a great job of it. I'm, I've heard her lecture, but I've never read the book. Um, so I don't know if that gives me any credibility. But yeah, talking I've about, I've got the book on my list of two reads as well. Yeah. And just talking about this idea that like, there was a sense of urgency attached to the settling of the United States and like settling the West. And that attached itself to Methodism through circuit writing. It attached itself to the revivalism of like John, um, not John Wesley, holy cow, um, George Whitfield and like all of those people. And there was this, this, all, like all these white dudes and there's this sense of urgency that we, in the same way that we have to settle and colonize the West and settle and colonize, you know, the, the 13 original call, like all this stuff, we have to colonize America for Jesus because right. America is Jesus's playground where he's going to set up his well, kingdom. It's, it's, and... it's the new Israel. It's the new Jerusalem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so like, it already fits so well. What I'd be interested to think of is like for Pentecostals who also shared the sense of urgency that Jesus is coming back and we better get things fixed. We don't want to fuck this up. Like, but they were also like integrated and there was also like women and men were, if they were empowered by the Holy spirit, they could speak freely. And there was no, like the, the structures of power were a lot less structured. Um, now granted that falls apart around the 19th, 50s i think so like almost everything yeah. like everything <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm thinking about the 50s you've watched Mad Men, right yeah um 
I, I used to live with a guy who was like so into Mad Men, and then we got to the end of it, and we were like, "What? Why?" Okay, so I I was I was just gonna talk about the ending because I I just saw, um, yeah, I saw a tweet like talking about like John Hams, um, like reflections on this finale, and he was basically just saying, um, you know, like my character's going through all the self doubt, and then he goes to this he goes to this you know commune whatever the spiritual exercise and he finds out who he is and who he is is an advertising person and just like how with like the growing of advertising and then we get into the 60s into like the peace and love movement we finally get this like beautiful but also just disgusting merger of advertising co-opting basically like spirituality minus religion yes um yes so like like that that madman like like the the i want to i want to buy the world a coke or what is it i want to buy the world a coke yeah i wish i could buy the world a coke i wish i could buy the world a coke which is just like honestly like i still can't watch that without getting goosebumps right like it's like because, it's like, like when you listen to we are the world you watch the youtube video of it yeah, like like you watch like I watch it and I'm like I'm like damn it this is this is convincing like, right. like I wish I could buy the world of Coke like even yeah. though like Coca Cola is a terrible company but this is such a good song and yeah. this idea of everybody getting along is such an attractive idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, like, is it? I feel like it's not been any surprise now where we're currently at with yeah religion. No, yeah, that's so interesting too like the because the whole point right it's like i said i'm i'm in marketing now because i'm good at convincing people i guess i don't know um but yeah like there's there's to be a pastor at at that particular time in america and i think this haunts the imagination for a lot of people of what a pastor should look like. It doesn't matter that we have so many denominations that ordain women and trans people and all of this different, like so many different expressions of like what it could mean to be a pastor and what it could mean to um, shepherd a community. God, shepherd a community. What is wrong with me? So, like of what it, what it could mean to help guide people through life using, you know, whatever framework, whether that be like a spiritual one or or whatever, like, it's still so stuck with this notion of like, the, the red in the face, yelling, white guy, who yep. at the turn of the century, who rides his horse to every town, and tries to find like all that. And like, that's upsetting, because then you also have like, they're 100% just copying the black church, and just copying like, these amazing orators, and these amazing speakers and preachers, like, an example that most people will know would be Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, which is a sermon that he wrote. And he was not going to give that speech that day until his wife said to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Like, if you listen to recordings, you can hear her in the background saying, tell him about the dream, Martin. And that's a sermon that he gave. Like, it's just, anyways, just like everything that is their culture, white people stole that from the black church and black people, but then they so easily and quickly align it with power. And so right. capitalism or the natural form of empire, because it's the quickest way for them to it's capitalism is the most innovative technology for spreading a message and getting people on your side. I, I would say, I don't know. At right. that time, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't argue. So it's like they have that. So this kind of plays into, and we had hinted at this before. In fact, I was tweeting about it, and you were like, you're on fire tonight. <laughs> like, what's going on? So I was having this conversation with my girlfriend, and I was like, let's imagine that religions are and that technology um, uses like so when you think of like algorithms or you think of like programs that are written they're designed to be efficient they're designed to like do things really quickly and compute things in the most efficient way possible because the quicker you can compute something the better the experience for the end user and so with different like religions that happen they eventually get aligned with hold on let me make sure i'm saying this right okay so they they, they work within what their society accepts to be real so like at the time of jesus and you have the writing of the new testament there's all kinds of miracle stories there's all these stories about fantastic things there are instances and stories in islam and and um and in Judaism and other religions about people being raised from the dead. Like this is not a novelty. This is not, this is just, this is just using the most, like using the best form of, of communication at that time. Virgin birth. Yeah. Virgin birth. It's all there. Oh my God. The virgin birth. Fuck the virgin birth (laughs) so much. Um, But yeah, so like you've got all these things and they work in a way that's going to make sense for the people. Now, you have good on the one side of that, but then let's let's simplify it and say you have good and then you have evil. Although I'm not sure I would agree that there's good and that there's evil, but you do have stuff that seeks to oppress and seeks to harm people. And that stuff, evil, will take the form of whatever it needs to to get people to believe it. So you'll have, you know, demons or Lucifer or whatever in certain cultures. In the United States, you kind of we kind of can extrapolate that out and think that like in our culture, the ultimate evil is probably capitalism. And let's define evil as like the thing that does the most um, oppressive, like the thing that's the most oppressive to society, the thing that keeps people back from um, progress and keeps people back from uh, like an equitable and charitable and full life. And so like capitalism will take the form, evil will take the form that works best in that society and is most efficient. And so eventually all religious movements, I would say, get to a point where they, they, they get to a point where they align with empire because it becomes more efficient and allows more people to become part of them. At that point, right. they've departed fully from what they were supposed to be. So, so, so there's, I would say that there's a new religious movement that's happening now in the sense that okay so like it's it's about liberation man this is the most convoluted way i've ever explained this god damn it <laughs> it's about liberation so you think about jesus jesus was a liberationist jesus was you think about moses moses was from a different religion and then was it moses or abraham abraham was his dad was part of a different religion and then he hears the voice of God and goes off and like sets this whole thing up. And then that kind of story culminates in the freedom of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and liberation. Right. And then Jesus comes and he's trying to liberate all these people. And, um, you know, there, I see this in Buddhism a little bit too, because you have Siddhartha Gautama who ignores all the trappings of the castle so and leaves the you know the lifestyle of like riches and oppression because he sees the plight of the poor and then he goes and um 
kind of finds this way toward enlightenment or this way toward nirvana by being one with the poor. And you see that culminating in like Gandhi, who like nonviolently resists so much oppression. Um, so like these things happen. And then each religion has a decision to either follow that legacy of liberation or follow that legacy of oppression. And by and large, people, because they're conditioned to be connected with empire, will slowly follow the legacy of oppression. I would even say you see that in the Jewish story with Joseph, who like gains power with the Pharaoh and like gains power with Egypt. And at that point, I'd say Joseph, and this is a thought from a person named Walter Brueggemann, who's like a really good scholar of the Hebrew Bible. And he'd say that like Joseph aligned himself with empire and it took Moses hearing from God and coming and to break that trajectory. So whatever the new thing is, whatever the new liberation movement is that's happening, I think most of us have already missed it because most of us are in the, we're not on the margins enough to know where that's happening. So by the time it happens and it gets to most of us, it's not going to appeal enough. It's not going to be scalable. It's not going to be efficient. And we're, it's already over. I don't know well, what the point of that is. I just think it's true. Yeah, no, I, I definitely know what you mean. And I think um, there's definitely this idea of, like, if your religion is successful, then that means it's more true than religions that weren't successful. Success being mm. defined by, like, you survived and you now have large numbers. Like, there are definitely plenty of Christians who think Christianity is obviously the right religion, there's the most of us right um, yeah it's her yeah. dynamics and i think you definitely see that a lot more in western culture which is why um you know like judaism like it's not about recruitment and uh and no. buddhism you know the dalai lama said if science says one thing and buddhism says something else then buddhism will change um that you're not going to get a lot of fundamentalists in buddhism if like that's yeah. what your incarnation of a holy being is saying um and so i think that's why you know christianity is on the decline in america but it's doing it's doing well enough like in other places like in like mm. in like developing nations and then islam is obviously on the rise as well and those are just so much like those religions are so much more just based on recruiting people hmm. um yeah and I mean, like, there's 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 a reason that most of the folk religions of Europe no longer exist. And it's mainly because the Christians killed all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think even even to bring it into outside of a religious context, into like a modern American lens, um, so much of the language of oppressed people in the u.s gets warped and like perverted into something that ends up just being meaningless because it's gotten so far away from the original term um just as it like woke um identity politics yeah uh you know even even cancel culture like cancel culture wasn't no one like created that and was like this is cancel culture and like that's our team it was like a term created by the other side for like people being held accountable for the first time in American history. Um, Cause I mean, like when you look at like 
when you look at the people who created the term woke, the black women who created the term woke, mm. it is not even remotely what people use it for now because it's used, yeah. it's mostly used as a derivative. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing with identity politics. Like, ask somebody what identity politics means. They're probably going to say identity politics says, like, oh, like, so you believe in identity politics. You're saying there should be more black people because there are more black people in America. So should we, have, we should have more black people in government. That's what most people would say identity politics is. Literally, <laughs> literally the opposite of what it was invented to be. It was literally created by a group of black women who said we're tired of being treated as a monolith. People can have their own desires and their own political interests outside of their political identity that's what identity politics is mm. but like nine times out of ten you hear the term identity politics and it's some republicans saying i don't i don't agree with identity politics and then they literally espouse what identity politics is when it was created by these people and again it's just it's just co-opting these things and then twisting them and making them look like this absurd thing because like you said if you if you're not the one dealing with the problem then the solution is going to seem absurd to you because you mm. don't understand the problem how the hell are you going to understand what the solution needs to be yeah yeah god dang true so what what was it like for you i mean so like over like the course of last summer i was here in madison so there were quite a few actions happening because the capital of wisconsin is here and so like i i only went to one um to one march because i don't know why I, well because i was living in a, in a basement with like um like a family of people not in the basement i was living in their basement and they had like <laughs> children and there were no covid vaccines at the time so i was like well i like can't we were, we were all in the basement the doors were locked and we'd sing hymns all day <laughs> and, and we had to turn this crank and i convinced myself <laughs> that you can do anything for 10 seconds and then i moved to new york city and started working at a startup and they sold and I got rich off of my <laughs> unbreakable, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Anyways. Um, yeah, no. So like, what was that experience like for you? Cause I know like here I was hearing about all this stuff that's happening um, and being like, man, I, I want to go like with Madison is really close to Kenosha. And so like there were people that were coming from Kenosha. There were people that were coming from, um, Oh my gosh, there's so many names of places that here that are not familiar to me. Uh, but they were coming from all these different places, like white people who were causing problems and like breaking windows and, and inciting violence uh, and then running away. And then the organizers and the people who were actually like causing, like doing the work and trying to create change and organizing the events were um, kind of thrown under the bus with their actions. But like, right. what, what was that experience like for you being in China? Um, so obviously like there was, a, there was actually going to be like a March that was planned, but then because of COVID, it didn't happen, mm. um, to support Black Lives Matter. Um, but I, I went to, I went to like two or three different like fundraiser events. So there was one, mm -hmm. I went to one where it was like a movie night. So there were like several people who had made, there were probably like, I want to say 12 short films people had made, mm -hmm. um, like people from all over so some chinese people also you know people from africa people from america pretty even spread but then the money goes to blm and there were a couple different events like that so there's definitely the 
it's it's funny because um china's i mean china is not like a china is not like a shining star for treating black people well when Mm. covid first started um a lot of businesses just weren't letting black people come in um because because they thought that um there were like more covid cases in africa so then they were just assuming you're black you're from africa maybe you have covid so it, it wasn't like super widespread but i mean and i will give china credit for it like i got an email from the chinese government that said if you're black and you're being turned away from a business call the police and we will come in and make sure that they serve you uh-huh. wow and so that actually got dealt with pretty quick um but i mean you know like chinese people aren't not all of them obviously but some of them are not crazy about black people but for the most part and of course this is going to be a little bit skewed but the people i talk to they're always just like why does your country do this like Mm. why are you guys so terrible to black people and of course the people that are talking to me are going to be the ones that are a little bit more open and a little bit more interested in the world um and also they can speak english Mm. um so there's definitely a slant to it, but yeah, no, there's, there's huge support here. I, I see black, black lives matter shirt. It's not uncommon to see them, um, on Chinese people or on, you know, expats. So it's, it's definitely much more just confusion. People just don't get it. And like every time there's a shooting, they don't get it. And all the anti-vax stuff and no masks like America. I don't know any, uh, none of my Chinese friends hate America. They just don't understand what's going yeah. on, which, which is fair because I like, I wouldn't understand it either if I didn't know people from America. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think it's funny too. Like we, like America is very much a developing world. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're not, we're a third world. I, I hate these terms and I don't like saying them because I don't think that they're like people first. I also think that sometimes using language is not as important as like, where do you give your money if you're able to and stuff like that. But like America's a third world country. Like when you think about the amount of poverty that we have, when you think about the homeless how population. Much the homeless population, when you think about how much excess there is that is not distributed or even used, even when you think about like the plight of the working class and like the so-called like middle class or like so-called lower middle class, like yep. there's no advocacy. It's it's very bad. And like, I mean, I don't know. The the it's so I, so I've been reading, I've been reading the end of policing. Um, and learning about kind of the formation of police to squelch labor unions has been very fascinating. Like I I knew, I knew a lot about, or I knew a decent amount about the history of, um, you know, overseers and officers and like uh, policing in the Jim Crow South and like post emancipation and like that kind of stuff. But like hearing about, you know, the creation of policing to squelch labor unions in Chicago. Yeah, like the Pinkertons. Dude, that, that shit is like, holy cow. And I'm like, man, this is, it, so it's like all connected to me. Like 
I mean, I, I you're, you know, the implicit question know, bro, that you're sounding, you're sounding pretty Marxist right now, man. <laughs> it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're saying it's a class struggle. It's in my, it's in my LinkedIn bio. And I, <laughs> so at this point, sometimes people will, so there's this thing called zoom info, where if you pay enough money per year, you can get the phone numbers and contact info of like anybody on LinkedIn. And so salespeople in all these different places or whatever have started calling me because they see that I work in marketing at, you know, uh, our, the company I work for was named with some high honors a couple of years ago in the business tech world or whatever. And so they'll call me and they'll be like, I noticed that your bio says Marxist. I think that's pretty bold. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, what are you trying to sell me? <laughs> it's just, <very> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, no, I do. I think again, like, like you're saying that the implicit question for maybe other people, or at least like the people that are talking to you in China is like, why, like, why is this an issue? And it's because the way that America's economy was created, it can't function without free labor. It can't function without slave labor and it never went away. It's just been, you know, reinstitutionalized through the prison pipelines and reinstitutionalized through even low paying jobs for the working class. And it's yeah. migrant. Yeah. Labor. Yeah. Migrant labor and all the, yeah and it's just like that's i mean like migrant labor specifically because i actually i think you you were at the uh the protest right that we did at southeastern in front of the publics yes i was yeah that was yeah we were both those are good times that was so fun like <laughs> like like us causing southeastern to lose like what was it, like a 30 or like fifty thousand dollar grant from publics because from of Publix. that like <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it's <laughs> Oh man. oh man that's like but when, whenever people say to me they're like we gotta get these gotta get these mexicans out of here i'm like okay you realize though that if we somehow magically got rid of all of our migrant workers we would literally starve like not like mm. metaphorically like there would not be yeah. food on the shelves for people yeah. to eat like it would just well, be it'd just be like lay's potato chips and bush's baked beans Look at look at the supply chain. I mean, I so I follow this stuff because it's part of the industry that I'm in. But like, look at the supply chain during COVID with COVID shutdowns. Look at what happened to meat. Um, and then you couple that with like panic buying the people that have the means to to buy extra and they do it. But like little like like we're talking just a few weeks in some places of having to shut down operations for um, like harvesting meat and whatever and like picking picking different you know produce and like things like that and it just totally caused and created um shortages not that it would have had to because i do think that panic buying played a large like there there wasn't as much of an issue on the supply side as there was on the demand side however or like gasoline like we're talking about two weeks right of a pipeline right. being shut down and it's just like you really you mean to tell me that you think yeah that the the class of people that you designate as capable of doing this particular kind of labor are like if they if they were gone like you, you depend on them you realize but you want them out of here like what the fuck and then also like let's talk about the the class like the the oppression that you're experiencing but because you look more like the ruling class you um think that you have a better chance of getting out of it are you familiar with the work of tim weiss the name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. 
so he has a great lecture and it's on YouTube and it's called racism was done to white people too. And it talks precisely about that. And it's about how white people think that they, um, in terms of class order that white people think that they're higher and they align more with the ruling class. They identify more with the ruling class because they were fed that as a lie that the ruling class was like, yeah, work for us for nothing. And you'll one day become like us. And that is so freaking prevalent that it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, then, dream. yeah. And then you have the, this is the other thing that's really frustrating. And I sit in this camp, like I am, like if we wanted to have a revolution, if we wanted to have a workers revolt, um, like on a large scale, I don't think most of us in the United States are prepared for the discomfort. I also don't think that we have built up enough of a safety net. Like we don't have enough of a, yeah, enough of a network that is not dependent upon capitalism and dependent upon the state to survive. And so even, even just like how many people can actually afford to miss like a week, a week's worth of money by protesting. Yes, exactly. Which is is like a great, I mean, hats off to the people that set that system up, but um, I, I remember seeing, I remember seeing a study this one. I was in maybe my sophomore year of college. I saw like an NBC article where it said, 40% 40% of Americans can't afford an unexpected $400 expenditure. Yes. And yes. I, I assume that's only gotten worse. Um, I don't think COVID's helped that. And so, you know, how are people like, are realistically, you know, like, it's like, okay, like we're all going to not go to work today, like to protest this. It's like, how many people can actually even afford that? Right. Right. No. So like when I worked in, so sidebar about my story, whenever I finished my master's at Southeastern, I moved to Los Angeles and worked for free for a year at a nonprofit. And that doesn't actually mean anything because it was actually just poverty porn and like, um, what's it called? Um, something tourism, nonprofit, like activist tourism or whatever. I don't know. So like it was the whole deal where it's like you work for us, you know, 40 hours a week and we're going to put you up somewhere and give you food and that kind of deal. The number one issue that would happen. So I worked where I worked, we would help people get jobs. And the number one thing that would happen that would cause somebody to lose a job. And we're talking about downtown Los Angeles, like right on fifth and main and like the like skid row is like right there so you can walk and like there were all of us had clients who were like living in tents because they had no other option or living in um sro like living at the cecil hotel because they had no option and like um that would happen because they would lose their job because they got sick or they'd have to call in sick they didn't have a sick day or like there was a broken ankle or like something we're talking like people who had to ride a bus six hours a day just to work their shitty $7 an hour jobs, or I think it was $11 at the time because LA's um, the, literally scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of progress. But like that would happen and they'd get sick and that's it. They, they, that would just like, and the next thing you know, they're like out of the, they get evicted and like, it's just, yeah. And that's like, so like what you're the study that you're talking about, I'm I wondering what the demographic is there, because I guarantee you that there's like other people that are maybe not 
making as much or different things like that or not responding to those kind of surveys that are even closer to being right. like out of it. And there's no safety net. There's, I mean, Los Angeles's answer to the whole thing was like, okay, well, we're just gonna concentrate everybody down on Skid Row and at least our quote, like at least our homeless population is controlled and contained. Right. Um, but then there's nothing there. And it's like people, like how can you see that in America and be like, oh, we're the greatest, we're the greatest nation in the world, USA, USA. Well, and, and it's it's such a, poverty is, it's a threat. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, oh, you okay, like you hate your job? Well, look at what yep. the alternative is because if you're homeless, like sure, like maybe some churches, maybe some charities will help you out. Like maybe you'll get like some, maybe you'll get a cell phone, but for the most part, you're going to be screwed and it's going to be something that you really have almost no chance of getting out of. Yeah. Um, and that's even and that's even if and that's even if it's one just you you're fully like mentally and physically cognizant like mm-hmm. that's like the best case scenario i mean and then yeah. when you think about the percentage of uh homeless people that are veterans like you'd think yeah. people would care more because good lord do we deify our freaking military they, they worship they come it. home and then and then we like, throw them on the street yeah they're like here's here's some subpar health care and there's only two you know v there's only one va hospital in your in your metro area and you're gonna have to take eight hours worth of buses to get there because we don't have a public transit system that's worth a shit and like you know it took it takes two weeks to get well it took two weeks to get an obama phone back when that was a thing um i don't know if it still is if if it's the government it, it probably is because they're slow and inefficient but like it took two weeks for something so like if you get evicted and you need like a phone like now you have to establish residency if you need any documents like it's, it's all a friggin the whole thing was designed to keep the poor poor and like designed to do that because the same people that wrote the fucking shit that governs this place were the rich and the landowning men who did it and it's yeah it's by design it's by yeah design. well fucking- right it's a threat it's it's a threat to people that are just below that or just above that line. Um, I don't know if you've read Utopia for Realists. Um, I have really, not. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but um, like a quote from the book that I love is is this guy's is this guy's saying there's so many complicated issues in the world. Like I'm not going to pretend like everything has an easy fix. But as far as poverty goes, poverty literally means you don't have this amount of money. If you have this amount of money, you're not in poverty. You're above the poverty line. Poverty is literally as simple as giving people enough money so that they're no longer in poverty. And I was yeah. like, I was like, holy shit. Like, it really is that simple. And there are literally people on Earth who could do this. <laughs> yep. And every it's... day they and every day they wake up and go, nah, not today. <laughs> Jeff has decided he will not end world hunger today. I'm Bill Gates. I'm gonna go cheat on my wife and be friends with, <laughs> and be friends with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh my god, what a thing! In all those scenarios, I, why don't like rich tech bro CEOs just like admit that they're polyamorous? Are so are they polyamorous or are they just shitty and they want to exploit people and sex like? makes them feel powerful like that's what i want to know because it's not the sexual ethic of like 
sleeping with multiple people. It's the ethic of like lying to under right, the pretense right. of like we had this established agreement, we had this contract that yeah, bothers like if, me. If, if if Bill Gates had come out like five years ago and was like, "Hey, me and my wife we're swingers," like some people would be like oh i don't like that but like nobody's gonna stop buying microsoft fucking computers like no nobody's gonna like throw their xbox out the window but now <laughs> they're getting divorced and all this shit is coming out about how he had an affair and how like he was constantly hitting on people at work and like unsuccessfully doing so like can you imagine being the richest man in the world and you like go to work and you're like hey uh, what, what's up and the chick's like ew like how <laughs> how fucking lame do you have to be? And I don't then, know. I I feel like that's a pretty normal response. If a rich man were to hit on me, I would be like, ooh. <laughs> but he's not a rich man. He's not a rich man. No, the richest he's man the, in the world. He's yeah, the yeah. richest man no, that's in the fair. world. That's fair. It's it's Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's messed up. Jerry Falwell too. I mean, like again, the whole deal is not your oh, sexual yeah, ethic. Shocker there, Jeez. dude. <laughs> it doesn't oh gosh well dude uh, uh, what's his what's his name uh zacharias oh yeah ravi zacharias jeez that was ugh. there's i mean there's so many too there's the what the guy tulian i can't I, I never learned how to pronounce his last name but he's a uh he was like super important in like the reformed world for a while like reformed christians and and then it comes out that he's like and 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 uh carl lentz uh, the Hillsong, also, oh, the Hillsong, yeah, New York yeah. guy. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's just like I don't know what or, it is. Or like fifty percent of people in Southeastern. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm just thinking about. Wow. I always, I always say like I'm like if Southeastern stopped hiring such interesting people, interesting things would probably stop happening. <laughs> like, mm. That's fair. So sleazy. Oh my gosh. It's not just Southeastern. It's, I would say, every Christian sort of place. Like anybody who's a youth pastor bro is a thousand percent going to be like a shady, exploitative, like sexually abusive person. I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, even if you're not. Um even if you're not like doing anything yourself and you're still like engaged in like the romantic sexual lives of your students. Yeah. Um, that's creepy as hell. There's, there's, you know, yeah. Like is, I'm not saying there's not, there's not a way to do that correctly, but geez, like, I don't, I don't know if I've seen it. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause, and then there's all the, and it's always like, it's usually a dude who's the youth pastor. And then, they're talking to, you know, young women in the youth group about their romantic pursuits. And there's always going to be like so much pressure, like, oh, yeah, you need to like get married. But it's also like, don't, uh, you know, like, yeah, you should be a sexual person because everybody is. But you should also not be that sexual. And don't, don't go don't go uncover his feet. Yeah, don't don't lay between his. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, then literally, like, read the Bible and understand that, like, the whole reason that Ruth was able to, um, wait, is it Ruth? Esther. The whole reason that Esther was able to get an audience with the king whenever the king was going to discriminate against 
her people is because she was good in bed. That is the entire freaking reason. Read the whole story. Read about all the women who had to take oil baths and like they literally. Yeah, no, well, took... no, because yeah, no, Ruth. Ruth was the same way because um, it's with Boaz. She, yeah, she, she had to. In, she goes in and uncovers his feet, and that like yeah, and like that, and then it's like, and then the next day Boaz married her. She had to like, lay with her kinsman redeemer. Ooh-wee. Right. And then it's just like, you know, uber conservative Christians are just like, yes, it's a literal translation. She literally uncovered his feet. And then the next day they got married. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And it's like, oh, wait, no, she fucked him. <laughs> like, that makes sense. I see. That is that is it. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's so funny. I mean, not funny. It's sad, but just like the, like the Christian, especially like the American, like fetishization of Jewish culture, but then also just like the total lack of understanding about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, like I guess you have to, like if you want to romanticize it in the Christian context, you kind of have to ignore what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But geez, like it's like they just go hand in hand. Yeah, and that's because colonizers ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, geez, I don't even know if I want to get into the whole Palestinian thing going on right now. And just like, like, just the Christian, like, and I feel like this is like a, a Pentecostal thing in particular, just like mm. the, they just get so horny for the end times. You know what I mean? Like they're like, we're like one of the few denominations that actually has that doctrine. Like Pentecostals, some evangelicals, and like a little bit of the Baptists, which I would consider evangelicals. Like they don't like any like Lutherans. Way more nuanced understanding of like when Jesus returns. Methodists, way more nuanced understanding of when Jesus returns. Catholics, Jesus is going to return in Rome and establish a literal kingdom there, just like the Roman Empire. But it's going to be uh pax the pax christi and not the pax romani um yeah it's like so weird that we created that we came up with this whole thing of like we've got to escape and and get this we stole that from slaves we stole the idea of the rapture we stole it white christians colonizers ruin everything they stole it from black slaves who were asking jesus to take them away like take them away from the oppression that we put them under and use the bible to justify isn't that interesting we're both reading the same text but because of our experience we came away with different you know interpretations of that text and but somehow the white one was right because colonizers i mean it's like i'm not saying all religions are a death cult but when like your goal (laughs) is to is to literally work towards ending the world sooner (laughs) yes like how is that not a death cult like (laughs) you've got some heaven's gate you've got some heaven's gate vibes it's it's the heaven's gate vibes for me yeah i don't know it's hard too because okay so a friend of mine uh, a day anderson we were like having this conversation um because for a little bit we were trying to work on like a podcast about like having pentecostals tell their stories and they brought up a really good point, which was, you know, like white experiences of Pentecostalism are 
more cult-like than Black experiences of Pentecostalism because there's so much community wrapped up in it. So it's like, we don't want to label that a cult because again, there's like social uplift and there's like real sort of good social movement. So like for us, I think it's easier for, I can say for me, it's easier to detach and be like, this whole experience fucking sucked and I wish I didn't have it, but that's because I sit in a really privileged place of being able to exist outside of that system and still have a relatively um, stable and relatively like resourced life. Whereas in a lot of black church experiences, you, you might not necessarily be able to leave that community, regardless of if the beliefs are harmful or not, like there's gotta be so much conflict and it's, it's gotta be so, um, yeah, because like you, you, if you like, you need that network. Like you, you, like the white, the white Christians have the privilege to be able to leave, and that's like, holy shit. You want to talk about how fucked up it is that you don't have the means because you've been oppressed by the system created by white people, so you can't get out of a harmful space or an abusive space because white. It's yeah. There's like so much to unpack, which is again why I don't identify as a Christian because the history of Christianity all the way from like even missionary, like Catholic missionaries in Japan, like the history of Christianity is so entrenched and so wed with settler colonialism that there's like, there's no way you can, I don't think there's a way that white Christians can redeem it. And I don't think we should be trying to, I think like just sunset that for now. Um, and, and, keep live laughing and loving you know (laughs) yeah i mean the way i look at it like um i definitely like of course there are plenty of things that are harmful within christianity and i like i know people who i have a lot of respect for and i think they're great people and i think like christianity is a big vehicle for them to act out how uh like their faith makes them feel and it helps them you know be a good person quote unquote um, but like none of those people do I think like they wouldn't be as equally helpful to the world if they weren't a Christian. Mm. Um, like just remove that Christianity. Like, are they suddenly going to just turn into this terrible person that doesn't want to help people? I really don't think so. Um, and so that's like, I'm, I've never been the type of atheist that's like, let me, I'm, I'm going to like convert you. Like, I'm going to get you out of there. Like, I'm going to like, I'm like, you know, you do your thing. Just like maybe ask questions. And if something isn't serving mm. you, I'm not even saying to stop doing it. Just figure out like, huh, like, wait, why am I doing this? Cause a lot of times it's really not as important as you think it is. And so many things are culturally based and yeah, you know, it's when you're, when you're praying to a God that doesn't respond verbally, at least uh, <laughs> it's really easy to get confused <laughs> and, yeah. and to just, ex- and to accept what you've been told and what's been reflected in your life. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm still glad that there are people who grow up with meaning making systems and frameworks that are culturally based but also like i'm just reiterating what i said before but they just they 
they're more expansive. There are traditions that are made to live and breathe. They're more community oriented than they are like doctrinal and it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I'm glad that I hope there are people that still live enchanted lives without all the trauma. Right. I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Or I think, I think even, um, not to say like I wish trauma upon people because <laughs> I don't, mm. but like I, I, I do have, I like, I have a certain level of admiration for people who want to try to redeem the church. Like that's not my fight. And I don't think <laughs> like, ne- like never say never, but I really don't think that will ever be my fight again. Um, but I do, I like, I do admire the people who are like, okay, like, I've gotten some good out of this. I've gotten some bad out of this. I don't think I can change the whole thing, but I can help the people that are still inside mm, um, not yeah. have to experience the same things I experienced. I've, I've got a lot of respect for those people. And, you know, I'm like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, I don't, I don't want to detract from them. I don't, want, I don't want anything I say to make them less motivated to help other people. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a soothsayer, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I no, also, that's but true. I also, but I also have very hard, definite opinions. And when people ask me questions, um, I'm gonna get uh, agitated. Is not the right word because I'm not angry when people ask me questions. But when people ask me right. questions about things that I have emotions about, I'm gonna get emotional about them. And I'm sure you can. Yeah. You you can probably identify with that more than I actually identify with it. <laughs> no, I I feel you. I've I've called it. Um, I I practice intellectual hostility, but I practice personal radical hospitality. Like, you can be the most Trump loving son of a bitch in the whole world, and. I will, if you need food, water, whatever, I will make that happen. However, if we get into a conversation, I'm going to state facts. I'm going to state things. It might get a little spirited, you know? That doesn't necessarily mean that I value value you less as a person. At least I think it, I don't think it does. In fact, I think it means that you value someone more as a person because you're yeah, not necessarily I would like, I would agree. you don't need to protect and coddle like, right. You know, and I think I think that's going to be key to a lot of stuff is like and I think that's where that's what's been frustrating about like social media and COVID. Right. We've had some really transformational. Well, I don't know how transformational they've been, but at least in America, there's been some profound um, in the United States. There have been some profound things that have happened that have caused white people to start having different conversations about white supremacy and about policing and about the treatment of black people and the murder of black people in our nation and like the systemic racism and our white privilege. And I think that like a key to dismantling white supremacy is going to be white people having conversations with other white people where they show that hospitality and practice that personal hospitality, but where there's that intellectual, um, again, like hostility and maybe hostility is not the right word, but there's, you've got to be resolute and you've got to be able to have those conversations. There's, there's going to be a certain degree of aggression. Yes. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's just natural. Like that even happens with me and other people who are largely ideologically aligned with 
where I am and not to say that that's the right approach for either of us to have, but we will get into spirited conversations and have disagreements. I mean, like that's just the nature of debate. <laughs> right. Well, because and I, I, I think um, there's definitely like this idea of being objective and above it all. And like, mm. I keep this monotone tone of voice and you're getting angry, which shows that in some way, you know that my argument is correct. And that's why you're emotional. Um, which is just like, it, like people think they're doing that. And it's like, no, you're being emotional in your own way, which is to cut off your emotions. Like, yeah, this is your yeah. own way of handling fear of being incorrect yes. or insecure. And yeah, I mean, I objectivity, what a fucking joke. Dude, yes, the Enlightenment still lives with us and we've not gotten too far <laughs> past Immanuel Kant, unfortunately. One of the most liberating things I ever read was, um, it was a secondary source, but the, the writer was working heavily off of... Um, some of the writings of Giorgio Agamben, who is like uh, an Italian political philosopher. And all of, a lot of his work was centered around the role of emotion in um, the public sphere and the role of emotion in doing public theology, which is public theology is kind of like political organizing, but just with like your theological stance. And then also um, Hannah Arendt has a, a little bit to say about the role of emotion in public discourse and it's exactly that. Like when you stop and you realize that like these notions of objectivity, again, like there is no view from nowhere. You can't stand somewhere and say like, Oh, I, I see everything except for my own van. Like you have your own vantage point. And like that, that, that plays into the, the way that you shape things, the way that you dialogue in public. And like, it's interesting. Well, it's not interesting. It's, it's deliberate, which emotions are acceptable you know, and yeah. like who, who is accepted having those emotions um, when, when you can yell racial slurs or sexist slurs at a state representative on the steps of the house. Um, and it de it's deemed socially acceptable because you're a man. And yet if a woman were to do the same thing, it's deemed that she's too emotional and irrational and stuff. That's, you know, that's the whole the whole well, and, you know, there's there's this idea where it's like everybody else is too sensitive. Like I'm gonna say what I say. <laughs> everybody else, everybody else has to deal with it. Also, yes. also though, also if you get mad at me for what I said, like don't right. be mean to me. Like, 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 like I'm not sensitive. <laughs> I'm not sensitive. Like, <laughs> yeah, the people who call other people snowflakes are the most snowflakey. It's like, come on, man. Right. Like. Do you think I can't handle this? Do you think I'm not built to exist in a brave space? Like, and I, like me, man, I can, I can go in there and, and yell at people and do, you know, do shit. Like it's not going to impact me as much um, because I've been given that privilege in society. There are other people who being in those spaces is, spaces is emotionally like harmful but they still do it anyways and like yeah there we go like i would yeah i don't know well shit man that was good <laughs> yeah thanks for uh inviting me to do this it's been fun um you're like it's really 
hearing you say stuff like inspires me to want to like read more and uh and learn more and so i've appreciated the conversation just for that alone like thanks for inspiring me to continue and like a little spark of i don't know hope or a spark of hey there's something in the future that that's it's good of you to do that yeah man same i mean you're you you know this i'm sure most people do not read and i know you read a ton like you are you are a scholarly guy which is not a term i would <laughs> apply to just about every just about anybody so i mean i love hearing from you as well because i because i know it's you're not just reading the books you're also this is stuff you actually really deeply care about and you're such a you're an emotional dude i don't know if you know that jimmy you're an emotional dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no it's synergy like that is nice right when you have like the the intellect and the emotion and all of it together it's like humanness it's the the modern day renaissance man (laughs) that's my shit that's my there you go there you go all right bro yeah thanks so much have a good one yeah man i'm off to work all right i'll talk to you later sounds good thanks all right peace bye